Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you for Christ. We know that we are needy people, and we know that the gospel is sufficient. And so help us today as we uh, look at your word, that we would be encouraged by it, that it would point us to the sufficiency and satisfaction available in Christ. I thank you for the beautiful day that it is today that you've given to us. Thank you that we can worship out here in uh, the open. Thank you for the sounds and the noises of nature. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the breeze. Thank you for all these things that are little reminders of your goodness to us. Let us be satisfied in you and you alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. At the 2004 Olympics, American air rifle shooter Matt Emmons was competing for the gold. These Olympic shooters have to be totally precise, training to shoot in between heartbeats, and victories are won over the space of millimeters. Emmons was on his final shot, and the gold was in the bag. All he needed to do now to win the gold was to get a score of 7.2. His lowest score was a 9.3, so this was just completely in the bag. If he won, this would be his second Olympic gold medal. Emmons fired his rifle, bullseye. And yet when he fired his rifle, no score appeared over his lane. He turned around and motioned to the officials that there was some sort of error. And after the officials discussed it for a moment, they gave Emmons a score of zero. He had fired at the wrong target. Emmons cross-fired, shooting in a target not in his lane, but in the next lane over. I can only imagine how frustrating it must be to, in this particular situation, to have all of your labor and all of your work and all of your effort count for nothing. To have everything you work so hard to accomplish right there next to the gold, and it completely amounts to nothing. And yet this illustration is not unlike the passage in front of us today. We are preaching from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and, uh, and, and you could turn there in your Bibles with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The heart of the passage is 1 Corinthians 3 verses 14 through 15, where we read this, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And while the passage in front of us, you know, about the uh, the, the, the wood, the hay, the, the stubble, the, the gold, the silver, while this passage is probably fairly well known amongst Christians, I think that it is probably less frequently applied than, uh, than it ought to be. If we are, uh, to be totally honest, we are a distracted people, we live in a distracted age, and we as Christians are constantly tempted to make our lives count 
for something other than Christ. And today's passage exhorts us to return to Christ and to labor for his kingdom, not for our own earthly kingdoms, but for his kingdom. And I want to set the stage today for how this passage fits into the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole. If you're visiting with us, we are currently preaching through. We just started a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we decided to just keep going forward in our Church in the Park series, not to change anything, but to continue going on in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians, has been making a case over and over and over again for godly wisdom. He really uh, took worldly wisdom and, and threw it under the bus, and he has made the case for true, Christ-centered, God-glorifying wisdom. And his entire point was that the division going on in Corinth, remember where they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, that division in Corinth was due to this one fact. They had embraced worldly wisdom. They begun thinking like the world. And so the natural outflow of that was that they began being divided with one another. Because of this reason, we said this, and we said this rather pointedly, that human wisdom divides and godly wisdom unites. Uh, We can trace this out in every movement that's ever happened in the history of the world is that whenever people have embraced human wisdom, it creates division. And whenever people turn away from that in repentance and they embrace godly wisdom, it unites. Note in particular some of the ways that the Apostle Paul has seen fit to rebuke us for worldly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.19, he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In chapter 1, verse 28, he says, God chose what is low and despised in the world. He chose us, not because there was anything special about us, but because he delights in frustrating human and worldly wisdom. And so he wanted to use objects that were not very wise. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, he criticized this people, and he said they were infants in Christ. They were not ready for solid food. They were only consuming milk. And so here's where our present passage comes into play. Because Paul is talking about building for the kingdom, and you say, how does this fit into his theme about division and about wisdom? Here's how it fits in. Your wisdom will dictate or determine your building materials. Whatever uh, branch of wisdom you adhere to, whether that be worldly wisdom or godly wisdom, that's going to determine what you build with. And so if you say the Bible is perhaps uh, not literal, it's not to be understood as it's been understood for centuries, the Bible is really just a collection of writings, that's going to determine what you build with. Versus if you say the Bible is the word of God, then you're going to build differently than you would otherwise. If you subscribe to what has been called the spirit of the age, then you will adopt certain building materials. You will fight for certain things. And if you accept worldly wisdom, your your building project will look different from someone who accepts godly wisdom. So in our postmodern age that we live in right now, Certain strategies 
and certain ministry philosophies and ministry methods are appealing. We might say it this way, ideas have consequences. And so whether we build uh, on the ideas of Freud or Darwin or Marx or Rousseau, very popular uh, ways of thinking in our postmodern age, uh, whether they be those ideas or other ideas, they will have consequences. They will have certain results that will come because of that. We are, of course, as Christians, called to build on the foundation of Christ, to build on the foundation of the authority of the unchanging Word of God from Scripture itself. Your behavior today counts for eternity. There is a right way to build, and there is a wrong way to build, according to this passage. It's not just to each his own. It's not just the end justifies the means. It's not just whatever works pragmatically. Your philosophy of building God's kingdom matters. And so if I could say really in one statement, if you, if you want to know what today's passage is about, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, if I could give you one statement that if you were to wake up at 3 a.m. tonight and say, what was this sermon about? Here's what this sermon is about. Take care how you build. That's all Paul is saying. Take care how you build. Take care how you build God's kingdom. Be careful that you're not using worldly methods, because that's going to end up being, as we'll see in just a moment, don't do that. Take care how you build and build using God's methods with the precious metals that the passage talks about. And so let's read this passage in front of us. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 10. We'll go through verse 17. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We're going to begin here by looking at God's foundation in verses 10 through 15. The, uh, the Apostle Paul begins here, in this passage, by discussing labor that endures or enduring labor. You want to work for God's kingdom. You want it to last. Nobody wants their labor to be in vain. Nobody wants to be shooting at the wrong target. Everybody wants their life to count for something. At the end of the day, you want your life to matter. 
You don't just want to be another tombstone. You want your life to have counted for something. Nobody wants to waste their life. And the reality is that many people who walk on this earth will come to the very last day and they will realize that they have spent their entire lives shooting at the wrong target. The target of materialism or the target of security or the target of health or the target of safety or the target of prosperity or the target of wealth or the target of cultural relevance or the target of sexual satisfaction or the target of entertainment or the target of prominence or the target of knowledge or the target of any of those things we could go on and on and on and describe. We spend, as people, so much of our time looking for hope and meaning and purpose in all of the wrong things. Endless scrolling that just goes on and on and on with no objective, no end, no purpose, looking for that buzz, looking for that next high, hoping that someone likes something we posted, looking for that little red notification dot on the phone. As C.S. Lewis might say, we are far too easily pleased. We must be satisfied with greater things. We have to be satisfied with things that have meaning and purpose. And if we could just draw maybe a quick general point of application here right at the start, we would want to say very clearly that we must not waste our lives. And to be honest with you, probably most of the things that we could waste our lives on, I don't have to tell you what they are. I could give you a list, and we already have seen a short list, but probably most of us don't need the list. Most of us already know the things that we're engaging in that are wasteful. We have to target the right things. We only have one life to live and we have to make the most of it. And that really is what this portion of the passage is about in front of us. You'll notice that the text says this in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care. Let each take care how he builds on it. He specifically uses the phrase, take care. Uh, this means that you are to uh, give thought to the way that you build. That you are to give thought to the way that you labor for God's kingdom. You are to be intentional about it. And you are not uh, to, to permit it to be something that is done haphazardly or in a disorganized, chaotic way. You are to actually sit down and think about how you are to contribute to God's kingdom. And notice also that since Paul says in this verse that he does this according to the, the grace of God, that he means that he is completely and totally dependent on God for this foundation building process. He is not the one ultimately who's doing the work, it's Christ. And just to be clear, he says 
This foundation is Christ in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And while this may uh, sound obvious to us, uh, hardly need to say this, uh, we need to say it because the text says it, and that is we need to build our churches and our ministries and our lives on the foundation of Christ. This isn't so easily applied, though. The Corinthians themselves were fighting over Christian personalities like Paul and Apollos and Cephas. So they obviously weren't building on Christ because they were building on these celebrities. And so we do the same thing today. And while we would say that there's nothing wrong with appreciating the ministry of a particular Christian pastor or minister, that those things are not to be things that we idolize after, Sometimes even our political allegiances are stronger than our allegiance to Christ. And this goes for, for, uh, across the political spectrum. We find ourselves committed to uh, humanitarian efforts that are antithetical to the gospel, that are actually working against Christ, as many of them are. At a basic level, we have to ask ourselves this. Is there such a thing as Christianity without Christ. This is, of course, what many organizations are attempting to accomplish today. We are going to have Christ in our name, but we're not going to be about Christ. Or we're not going to declare publicly that we're about Christ. Can we counsel without Christ? Can we provide therapy without Christ? Can we fight for justice without Christ? Can we create unity without Christ? The Bible here teaches clearly that the foundation must be Christ. And knowing that the Corinthians were not doing this, Paul reminds them of the danger of their wasted efforts beginning in verse 12, where we read, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire And the fire will test what sort of work each one's done. Your work will be tested. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Your motivations and your building materials will be judged by the Lord. He uses the language here of purification This, uh, of course, is how precious metals are refined by heating them up and burning off the dross. You will be heated up in the fire and the dross will be burned off. If you contribute to God's kingdom in Bible-saturated, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, gospel-magnifying ways, then that work and that contribution will endure. That's the gold, silver, and precious stones. But if you try to build God's kingdom using man's ideas, man's theology, man's um, wisdom, those contributions to the kingdom of God will be the dross that is burned up. That's the wood and the hay and the straw. This will happen, as the text says, on the day, and many Christians have called this the Bema Seat of Christ. And in order to be totally clear for us, This is a judgment that will be faced by believers. However, 
this judgment that's being talked about here is not regarding our salvation, but it's regarding our rewards. I want to unequivocally state and affirm the truth of Romans 8.1 that says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That needs to be stated clearly because for those who are in Christ, there is no danger of facing condemnation. There's no danger of losing your salvation. You can't. If you're in Christ right now, you won't be condemned, as this passage says. So obviously, 1 Corinthians 3 is not referring to a judgment that results in condemnation like this. It's, resu- it's a judgment that results in uh, evaluating the motives and building materials and translates that into rewards. Uh, note even the context in 1 Corinthians 3. He couldn't possibly mean that we would lose our salvation because he says at the end of this verse 15, he himself will be saved. And so he's saying this is not applying to your justification. It's not applying to your standing in Christ. It's simply referring to uh, your rewards in Christ. And just to connect this again to the context of 1 Corinthians, our rewards are reflective of whether or not we have embraced worldly or godly wisdom. That's the key. And I would suggest to us and say that this event that each of us will face will, I think, simultaneously be the most heart-wrenching and most satisfying event in the believer's life. Because in one moment, in the blink of an eye, you and I are going to witness all of our wasted labor just go up in flames. All of it. All of our wasted energy, our wasted ministry, our wasted effort is going to burn up. And then the next moment, our hearts will leap with joy with the recognition that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You will be saved if you are in Christ. Salvation has come. And so the admonition for us is, take care how you build, that we may one day hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But lest we take a deep breath and think to ourselves, boy, I can act however I want to now. We have to read the next two verses in verses 16 through 17, which I've entitled God's Temple. We read this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul first gives us here a statement of identity. The Holy Spirit resides in us as believers. Believers are, as it says here, God's temple. We belong to Christ. And thus, if anyone destroys those who are in Christ, they themselves will face severe consequences. God will destroy that person. Lest you believe that um, adopting worldly wisdom and uh, worldly methodologies and worldly systems of thought are inconsequential, God says otherwise. If you have 
totally embraced the thinking of the world and you have rejected and have no love for the word of God, then for one, you should ask yourself, do I really know Christ? But secondly, you might find yourself actively working to harm the believer in Christ because you're not working according to Christ's wisdom. God will, in this passage, not tolerate those people destroying his temple or God's people. It may reveal that you are not in Christ if you are found working against God's kingdom to that degree. And that should certainly scare us to think that we could waste our lives to that level. We must be found in Christ and we must follow the wisdom that scripture has given to us and laid out. We have no need to embrace the wisdom of the world. So where do we go from here? Well, we need to recognize that the way that we build matters. That's what we've been saying. The way that we contribute to God's kingdom matters. We don't want to build uh, God's kingdom using wood or hay or straw. And we certainly don't want to be found destroying God's temple, as this passage reminds us of and warns us against. We want to build God's kingdom using God's methods and God's tools. And so the question is, what are the kinds of things that we should be doing in order to build with gold, silver, and precious stones? What should you do to build using God's ways, God's methods? And the answer to this question, I think, is, as one Christian has said before, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. In other words, if you want to know what you have to do to build rightly on God, in God's kingdom then just come join us in one of our many Bible studies we have throughout the week. It's, it's all of the, the scripture. It's getting to know the whole Bible. It's, it's organizing my life after 1 Corinthians and Romans and Genesis and Leviticus and Habakkuk and Revelation and all of these books in the Bible. This passage is calling us to submit ourselves to the entirety of God's word. And you say, that's a pretty broad application today. Yeah, submit to the whole Bible. It is kind of a broad application. So I'm going to give you a couple. Exhaustive. I'm, I'm calling us, and, I, and the Bible is calling us, to submit to the entirety of the Word. But let's look at a few different areas. Maybe you're a parent. How do parents build using God's methods? Well, through committed and consistent discipleship of our children. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Say, how do I build God's kingdom using God's methods as a parent? Disciple your children constantly. How should, and we're going to go through different roles here. We have parents. How should uh, women build using God's methods through commitment to nurturing their families, as Titus 2, 3 through 5 says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. How should husbands build using God's methods? 
Let each one of you, Ephesians 5.33, love his wife. What about wives? Again, Ephesians 5.33, let the wife see she respects her husband. How should children build using God's methods? Through obedience to their parents. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. How should families build using God's methods? Through, and this again, these are just one of many ways, through cheerful hospitality. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. How this? Through a rejection of partiality to the rich and a rejection of partiality to the poor. The Bible calls us actually not to favor either one. Leviticus 19 and verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. James 2, 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. How should the church build using God's methods? Through committed evangelism and discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How should every single Christian build using God's methods through seeking the Lord first in every last thing that you do. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What we need as Christians and I would say what we need as a culture. We, we, we know that our culture is unraveling right now before our eyes. We are, we are witnessing the destruction of our culture. We're witnessing the destruction of everything good. We're witnessing the destruction of families. And here's what we need as a culture and as a church and as a community. We need Christian families and Christian homes evangelizing to the glory of God, preaching to the glory of God, baptizing and having communion to the glory of God, eating at dining room tables to the glory of God, sweeping floors to the glory of God, washing dishes to the glory of God, building homes, having children, pursuing justice, changing diapers, all to the glory of God. We need to do everything we do with a mind towards Christ and following in submission and obedience to him. You are not your own. The best culture that we can make is a Christian culture. Nothing compares to that. In fact, we had a missionary come here um, and his family uh, headed to uh, Indonesia. And uh, while in many parts of Indonesia, uh, there are uh, Christians are under attack, he shared with us a rather striking reality. It shouldn't be striking. But he said, there are some parts of Indonesia where Christians are welcome and invited to come because they know that wherever Christianity goes, good cultures are built. Wherever Christians go, 
families come. And wherever families come and parents and children, good culture and honest culture is built. That's what he, that's what he found out in studying to go to Indonesia is that there are some places that want Christianity to go there. This is what Orville needs. This is what Wayne County needs. This is what the United States needs. These things are part of what it means to build with materials that last, provided, of course, that we have godly motives. On the flip side, to submit to all of these kinds of things, to submit to the whole Bible and to live, build our whole lives around Christ, means that we are also rejecting worldly building materials. Our postmodern culture teaches us to value different things. It teaches us to embrace the idea that you should always be true to yourself, which comes straight from Rousseau. It teaches us the idea that there are multiple races, which the Bible teaches us that there is one race, the human race, and that Christ has died for that human race so that salvation can come to all men and women. It teaches us that you can have ethics without Jesus Christ, and on and on and on we can go. At the end of the day, we seek Christ. We look to Christ. We embrace his values, his word, and his building materials above everything else. When we do that, our building is not in vain. When we do that, we're building with the gold and the silver and the precious metals. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So here's the application today. Take care how you build. Build with God's tools and not man's tools. Don't waste your life. Make your life count. Don't hit the wrong target. Instead, aim for Christ and his kingdom. And I would say that for those of you who may not know Christ, the beginning of this, the doorway, the, the entryway, to knowing Christ, to being able to build, the prerequisite to even being able to build using God's uh, building materials is to know Christ, which simply means that you have recognized that you are a sinner deserving God's wrath and God's judgment in a place called hell for all of eternity. You deserve that. I deserve that. If we're talking about purely what we deserve, we deserve judgment. You are not a good person. I am not a good person. And as we say here at Crossview, we are not the good people. We are not here today because there's something that set us apart from anyone else in our community. We are here only because of the grace of Christ. And so if you do not know Christ, then I would exhort you to repent and trust in Christ as your Savior. Turn to him. Trust in him and not yourself. And I would personally, I'll be walking around here fellowshipping with you. I'll personally be happy to talk with you. Come run up to me and grab me or grab anyone else. And, and we'd be happy to show you Christ.
and his sufficiency. And so may I encourage you and exhort you to do that. And then for those who are in Christ, take care how you build. Don't waste your life building with the building materials the world says you should use. Use what God said you sh- says you should use. He's enough. He's sufficient. Thank you, God, for today, your word, your sufficiency. Thank you for giving us instructions on how to build using godly building materials. Let us do it to the glory of God. We pray in his name. Amen.